Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We have been uh, in a very interesting series. And we've called it Change Your World. All month long, we've been talking about what responsibility we have as followers of Jesus Christ to positively impact the world at large. And what we've surmised as a result of these conversations that we've been having this month is that the most effective way for us to change the world is that we first have to change our world. And we started this conversation um, a few weeks ago and we looked kind of at the zoomed out perspective. And we discussed that according to research and even biblical interpretation that the ways in which a society is positively impacted, there are seven uh, spheres of influence that have to be impacted. We talked about things like government. We talked to things about arts and entertainment or media or education and on and on and on. And we found that God wants us to affect these areas of industry. Everybody isn't called to preach. Amen. You should say amen. Because I'll trade you. No, I'm just playing. But everybody isn't called to the church. Some people are called to government, to run for office. Some people are called to the business world. Some people are called to the education world. And what God wants us to know is that no matter where we're called, what industry, what sphere of influence we're called to, he wants us to take the light there with us because he has said that we're supposed to be a light on a hill shining for all to see. And you don't bring a flashlight to the beach because a light where there's already light is ineffective. And so God is in fact calling us to take light into dark places. And then the following week we looked at the life or the portion of life where Joshua was promoted to replace Moses. And when he went into, led the charge into the promised land, there were some prerequisites that he had to go through in order to be qualified to enter into the realm of influence that he was called to enter into. And we unpacked how we are supposed to apply those same principles to our life. And then we moved the conversation. We started to turn the dial and zoom in just a little bit further because one of the tricks of the enemy is to keep us distracted. How many know that the enemy would love for you to be distracted? Because if he can't devour you, if he can't destroy you, he will do his best to distract you because he doesn't want you to be who God created you to be. And so it's important that we zero in and focus on who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to go and the impact that we're supposed to make. And then we moved the conversation to last week with a message called Black Excellence. Black 
excellence. And that had nothing to do with race or ethnicity. It had to do with the fact when you look at creation, it was void and formless and black and dark. And then God began to create. And so again, it's a reference to the fact that God is calling us into dark places and he wants us to create in those dark places, but he wants us to create with his light to make something excellent in an area that is dark. And so that brings us to today. This is how we're going to wrap this up. We are going to zoom in just a little bit further. Um, I think this, this conversation is going to intimidate you a little bit. I want to tell you that up front. At least I'm honest, right? It's intimidating because we're going to look at the purpose that all of us share. It's a purpose that no matter which sphere of influence, which mountain, whatever you want to call it, which classroom of influence, we all share um, this particular purpose. And our model today is none other than Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to look at Jesus and how he started his influence on the earth. One of the first things that he did when he began his three-year ministry journey was he went and he started talking to people. And he would say, hey, you know, if you follow me, I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to turn you into something. Now, this is Jesus, son of the living God, who's also God. You would think that when he makes a proclamation that I'm about to make you something, that maybe, maybe he's about to make you more spiritual. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's about to make you a, a preacher. Or, ooh, maybe an apostle. Wouldn't that be cool? But if we actually look at what he said, we might be caught off guard. If we look at Mark chapter 1 and 17, he said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, he's using language that is conducive for the audience that he's talking to. He's talking to fishermen. <laughs> and so when he's saying that, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of people, he's saying that I'm going to turn you into an evangelist. You see how quiet you got? I predicted the silence. <laughs> because this is an uncomfortable conversation, mostly because of two reasons, fear and misunderstanding. And so we're going to tackle both today because here's what you have to know about this topic. It's important to God. Because this is literally how Jesus started his ministry. He said, I'm going to teach you how to have an impact on the life of another person. That's the purpose that you and I share on this earth, is that God wants us to make an impact 
on the life of another person. This is so important to him that not only is that how he started his earthly ministry, but it's also how he concluded it in Mark 16 and 15. This is right before Jesus went back to heaven. He said, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So first he said, I'm going to show you how to do it. And then he concluded the whole thing by saying, now go do it. That should let all of us know that this is, this is important. Don't let fear rob you of your purpose. Don't let fear take you away from who God made you to be. I know you're thinking like, I'm not that way. I'm not an extrovert like that. I don't know enough Bible. I'm not a preacher, you're the preacher. But the truth of the matter is, None of us are qualified to do anything for God apart from him. No matter what he asks us to do, it's going to require us coming back to him. So the fact that you're disqualified is cool. We all are. None of us can do what we're called to do unless we go to him to find out how we do it. The problem is when we hear evangelists, we, we formulate. You instantly thought of somebody. Somebody came to your mind when you said, well, I'm not like that. Think of some adjectives that in your mind describe in the best. Like what comes to your mind when you hear that? I immediately think about old boy on State Street with the bullhorn in downtown Chicago telling everybody they're about to go to hell. That's not evangelism. Um, shout out to him. But don't think just in that form. Why don't we do this? Think about how would you describe the person that's most responsible for you coming to Christ? Somebody told you about Jesus. And I'm willing to bet that they were compassionate. I'm willing to bet that they were patient. I'm willing to bet that they were kind. And because of their witness, here you sit. And you have to take some of the pressure off of your back. When I tell you that this is the Lord's calling on your life, you can relax a little bit. Because as we walk through this, you'll see that you will be equipped to do this work. The fact of the matter is we are not the judge. You can put your gavels away. God is not saying go out and judge this world for me. That's not the call of the evangelist. And I'll prove it. Let's look at Acts 1 and 8. He said, you will be my what? Come on, say that out loud. You will be my, one more time, you will be my witnesses. Think about a courtroom for a second. Think about the different players that are in the courtroom. You have a judge, 
sitting there waiting to make the final ruling. But you also have a couple of lawyers. You have the prosecuting attorney whose, whose job it is to show the guilt of the plaintiff. They have their evidence and they have all the things there to make that person's case seem guilty. But then you have another lawyer and they're called the defense lawyer because it's their job to make this plaintiff innocent. You're not any of those people according to scripture. You're just a witness. All witnesses do is tell what they saw. All a witness does is say, nah, what I saw and my perspective from my vantage point was this. So what God is saying when he says that you are my witnesses, he's just asking you to tell people how good God's been to you. <laughs> you thought you had to go send them to hell. That's not the description here. All God wants you to do is say, listen, man, I once was blind, but now I see. It's not I once was blind and now I see. And if you don't go get some sight, bro, you going to hell. All we are called to do is to be a witness. So relax. It's easy to tell your story. Have you ever ate something real good? What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to tell somebody. My wife, I love her. She's not here so I can tell this story. Let me hurry up and tell it before she gets back. I be wanting to try stuff. I be wanting to go to different spots, restaurants, around us. Like, hey, let's try this. She likes to stick to what she knows. And if she don't know, she's like, I don't know who be up in their kitchen, what their kitchen look like, and all that. <laughs> so we don't go. But you know what happens, Pop? Taryn goes. If I say I want to go to a spot, it's a no. But if her twin has been to the spot, has tasted the food, and has now recommended the spot, now I got the green light. Because a witness is powerful. It brings down your defenses, it brings down your barriers, it brings down your walls, it brings down your animosity, because you have a witness that testified to the goodness of the chicken. You know I gotta have a chicken reference in the sermon. So if we can brag on some good chicken, that we can tell somebody how good the macaroni was. I'm getting hungry. Surely, surely, surely we can brag on the goodness of Jesus. Surely we can tell somebody how he made a way out of no way. Surely we can tell somebody how he turned things completely around. Surely we could tell somebody how he opened a door that was closed. Surely we can brag on our God. That's all a witness is. And you got to know just how powerful 
your witness is. Because some of you are disqualifying yourself and you shouldn't. There was a poll by Gallup that looked at church attendance patterns. And out of 65 million people who will not attend church today, the survey said 34 million of those people would go if somebody invited them. Just an invitation. Not a sales pitch, not a theological debate, just an invitation. Say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? You got anything going on? Why don't you come hang out with me? Why don't you come sit next to me? I'll pick you up. Half of those people would come to hear about your Jesus if you just invited them. We got to stop overcomplicating the mission. We have to live, brag on God, and invite people. Some and, and why don't listen? Let's 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 just bring it down even further. Nobody's asking you to go start a church, a Bible study, a revolution, a reformation. Could you just commit to saying every year? I'm going to invite one person to church. One unbeliever, one lost person, one person that I'm hoping that God gets a hold of, I'm just going to shoot for one a year. Can you imagine if all of us made that type of commitment? Remember, the goal is to change our world. So if we all became more okay with inviting people and telling people how God's been good to us. That's it. When you get that promotion, girl, look what the Lord did. Not look what my degree did. Not look what my interview skills did. Look what Jesus did. What type of impact would we be able to make? You got to understand that this is the destiny of followers of Jesus Christ. Followers fish. You should write that down. Followers fish. Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You got to think about this. If you saw somebody drowning and you had a raft in your hand, what they don't need is the Greek translation of the word raft. Well, you know, in the Greek, in the original language, no, they just need the raft. <laughs> just throw them the raft. Because people need help. People are drowning. People need what you have. People need your witness to help them make that final push to say, let me, let me just go see what this is about. Let me just see what's happening. Again, here's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be discouraged. He doesn't want you all in on this thing. And so he's going he's gonna to cause you to have a little bit of self-intimidation because right now you're running through the resume of your disqualifications. 
You sound like Moses. I, I, I don't have strong speech. So Lord, send somebody, send my brother. And you're talking about, well, you know, I haven't always lived holy. Join the club. You know, I'm still struggling with this, so maybe I shouldn't join the club. Second Timothy 4, 2 through 5 says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. So it doesn't matter if the time is favorable or not. He's saying be prepared. Why? Because there's going to be opportunities and moments where you're going to see a chance for you to insert yourself, to give somebody some hope just based on what the Lord has done for you. And if you're unprepared because you're so busy disqualifying yourself and you're so intimidated to tell people about Jesus, when all you're doing is just telling what God has done for you, you're going to miss your opportunity. The next verse says, work at telling others. That means that there's a process. You're not going to be great at this at the beginning, but if you work at it, the Holy Spirit will help you. If you work at it, the Holy Spirit will word your mouth, will help your brain get creative in the moment. You will be able to do it if you work at it. Telling others the good news. And this last part is key. Because in doing so, you will fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So many people are, what? I don't know what my purpose is. I'm good at 17 different things. I don't know which one God wants me to do. Well, here's your purpose. Witness. Any questions? It says this is what leads to you fully carrying out the ministry God has given you is telling others about God. We all have the same purpose. It's going to be in different spaces and different places and different strategies, but the purpose, the goal, the mission is the same. To tell others about God. So I'm just going to give you a couple of strategies, just four strategies to lower your intimidation because this is your destiny. That's what that scripture just said. This is your destiny. Say that. This is my destiny. This is my destiny is to tell others about God. So the first strategy is this, become aware. Become aware. You have to understand God has already strategically put people in your life that he wants you to impact. But you have to become aware that they're there. This is God's plan A for his kingdom agenda. And there is no plan B. Your goal is to tell somebody how good your God is. But you can't figure it out if you don't first become aware of what's 
around you. Here's why it's so important. If you look in Romans 10 and 14, it says, how can they? Now, who is they? They are the people that's in your life that are far from God. They can be people who never knew God. They can be people who once knew God but now have created distance between themselves and God. He's saying, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in them, excuse me, in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? These are those 34 million people that are not here and are not in those other churches because somebody won't tell them. The next verse says, and how will anyone go to tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful, he's quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. This is the plan of God to advance his kingdom on earth. When was the last time he told somebody about Jesus? Keep that to yourself. Because I don't want you to feel bad by saying it out loud. But think about that. We're all on the same mission. We're all called to be what 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says, Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Does your Bible say that? God is making his appeal today, that lost cousin, that wayward son, that crazy co-worker, God is making his appeal through the preacher. Nope. God is making his appeal through the social media influencer. Nope. Says that he's making his appeal to them through us. It's on us. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 says, I planted the seed, this is Paul talking, in your hearts. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Last week, my wife and I, we were out doing some training, and we, and we sat down with this couple, and, and, and uh, the, the wife is, is an emerging prophet, and she's getting more comfortable with her, with her gift. And one of the things that she was having trouble with is she says, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm doing, I'm saying what the Lord is telling me to say, but I, I'm not sure if it's being received. And you're going to bump up against that when you, when you attempt to do what God is calling you to do as far as being a witness because you're going to start wondering, am I having an impact? Are they hearing what I'm saying? Am I making a difference? And if you answer that question within yourself as a no, you'll stop. You'll become discouraged and you'll give up. But that's why you need to understand this scripture, and this is what I share with her. Your job isn't to grow anything. Your job isn't to save anything. Either you're the person planting the seed, or you're the person watering the seed. Because this verse says, he said, I planted, Apollos came and watered, but it was God who made it grow. You're not responsible for growth. You're responsible for planting a seed 
or water in a sea. We go into this approach. This is why we don't tell anybody, because we judge people. Can we just be real? Is that okay? We prejudge people. And we talk ourselves into not saying anything because we automatically assume that they won't receive it. That I'm not planting no seeds there because that soil ain't conducive for growth. It reminds me, there's this place in, in, in our country called Death Valley. Has anybody heard of Death Valley? I think we got a picture of Death Valley that we're going to put on the screen. That's what Death Valley looks like. It's barren, dry, nothing grows there because of the environment. It's not a good environment. It's not conducive for growth. And so for us, when we see people, we judge people because we see this. Like, what's the point? Nothing's ever going to grow there. Why waste my time? But there's a funny thing about Death Valley. Every 10 years or so, it rains. And what happens when it rains is this thing called a super bloom. What changed? Water. It's the same environment. It's the same soil. The seeds were there. They just needed some water. They just needed somebody to take a chance. They just needed somebody to look past their exterior and say, you're valuable, and I'm going to pour some water on you. It's not my responsibility to make you grow. But the least I can do is tell you how good God's been to me because that water might create something. We have to be able to look past what we see and see through the lens of our God. Because guess what? We were dry and barren too. Don't be so saved that you forget what you used to look like, that you forget how messed up you were, that you forget how much rejection you gave out at first. Always remember what God did for you because that will fuel your ability and your consistency in doing for others. In researching this for today's message, I came across something really interesting. It's called the Ingalls Scale of Evangelism. And when I saw this, it was like, oh, that, is, that makes total sense to me. This was based on research did done back in 1975 by uh, a researcher named Jeff Engel. And what this does is it talks about the journey that people take to Jesus and the steps that they take after they find him. And I think that if we walk through this, it'll help us. If we know this in advance, it'll help us not get discouraged. And so the first thing you'll find is that people are resistant. They just are. That can be for a couple of reasons. That can be related to fear, but it can also be related to hurt. Some people have some hurt within them that presents walls of defense. And so when we attempt to tell people how good God has been to us, they may be very resistant based on prior experiences. Those experiences could have been in the church. Those experiences could have been out of the church, but whatever those experiences are, it causes them to not want to be too receptive to what you're saying. So they, they are resistant. But you have to, again, be okay with that because your job 
is to either plant a seed or to water a seed. It's not your job to get an increase. But as they continue on, if you're faithful and if other people come by and they're faithful, they, they start to soften a little bit and they move from resistant to receptive. They start to experience some things and maybe the way that they were going and the walls that they were putting up start to get melted because life circumstances are such a way that they're like, there's got to be something better. I've been there. I grew up in church my whole life since I was three. There's only been one year I've never been in church, and that was the year I was in Iraq. But I wasn't always saved in all those years. And there was a time, especially when I left home and, and, and went into the military the first time, I wasn't trying to hear that church stuff. I've been, I've been in church several days a week my whole life. And now I was free. And I wasn't thinking about church. And I was out there not being who God called me to be. And you know what? I got tired. Because I was pursuing something that I thought was for me, but it really wasn't for me. But I had this wall up like I was living it up. But I wasn't. And somebody had to invite me to church. There were plenty of times that I showed up to church with alcohol in my system from the club the night before. I wasn't in my right place with God. I was far from God, but somebody had to tell me about the goodness of Jesus. Even though I grew up in church, I needed somebody to pour some water on me. I needed somebody to remind me that everything that I thought that I wanted, I could find it in Jesus. And then I became receptive and I moved from receptive to seeking. Because as long as you're chasing after anything but Jesus, you will always have a void in you. I don't care how accomplished in life you are. Without Jesus, there is a big God-sized hole in your spirit. And you feel empty. You keep striving for accomplishments, and then you get the accomplishment and realize, I still feel empty. So then you start Seeking, like, man, what am I missing? And then that person will move from seeking to considering. The whole time they're looking at your life. I said the whole time they're looking at your life. They're looking at how you live versus how you talk. They're looking at how you live versus how you post on social media. And they're looking at your life to figure out what it is that has you so at peace in the midst of uncertainty. This world has been turned upside down in the last couple of years, and people, sh pe people should look at you and wonder, like, how? How are you still walking with your head up like that? How are you still able to smile how are you able to still have joy? And it's not about what you say, but the Bible says that we're supposed to be living epistles. We should be examples in the earth of an undefeated God in our hearts. That doesn't mean that life is perfect, 
But even in the imperfect life, in the imperfect moments of life, we realize that we still serve a perfect God. And that's where our joy comes from. We could be in pain, but still have joy in him. We could be in grief, but still have joy in him. We could be searching for a new job and still have joy in him. Our business sales could be down, but we can still have joy in him because we know that he's perfect and he's undefeated and he's with me. And so when people start looking at your life and they see that your life is imperfect, but you're still moving in joy, they begin to wonder what is that that she has? What is that that he has? And those moments become moments and windows of opportunity because you know what they're going to ask you. Why are you so happy? We both work at this same crazy job <laughs> under the same crazy boss. But you over here playing your Maverick City with joy. Like, what's that all about? And what, the, what is a Maverick City? <laughs> There's going to be an opportunity for, to move them to a place of understanding because that's the moment that you tell how good God has been to you. And that he's the reason for the hope that you have. And then they move to being ready. And I really think that this is the place that those 34 million people are at. Because here's, what you, here's why you don't have to worry about trying to get people to grow. Because life is messed up. And life is going to push them to a place where they're going to be looking for an answer. You ain't even got to worry about it. All you got to do is stick around long enough. All you got to do is be available. All you got to do is be consistent. And that moment is going to come. It's going to show itself. You're going to walk in one day and see that their eyes are a little watery and you're going to have a moment there. Are you okay? Can I pray for you? Do you need to talk? Come on. You don't have to preach. You can just be an ear for somebody. Do you need to talk? This is, this is our mission. Is <laughs> to be there for people and wait for our moment to plant a seed or to water a seed. Because at that point where they're ready, if we do our part in watering or planting, they'll come to know Jesus. Again, we're not here to save anybody. We don't have salvation power. So exhale. You don't have no salvation power. I don't care how anointed you are. There's only one who saves. And his name is Jesus. And so it's important that after you hit the phase of, 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 of coming to know Jesus, the next place they go to is belonging. The next place that they brought, it's important to be connected to a local church. You cannot be disconnected from a local church and feel as though you belong. Yeah. 
You can watch seven sermons every Sunday. And if you don't connect to a local body, you're still going to feel as though you're missing something. Shout out to everybody watching us online. I love you, but please go find you a local church too. Because the local church is the hope of the world. You need a family to connect to. And then the next phase after they connect and find some belonging is now you move into growing. I call this discovery. That's why we have our discovery class, a free class to help you find out, walk through the journey of knowing how God has wired you and built you and what he wants you to do. There shouldn't be anybody here that hasn't taken discovery class. It's a free class to help you to understand who you are in him. All you got to do is go out there and say, I want to join discovery class. Okay, simple. Next is serving. After people come to Jesus, they find a sense of belonging, they start to grow and discover who they are, you move into serving. This is according to research. And let me tell you something. I have not always been where I needed to be in God, but I have always served. I've always volunteered, even as a child, at church. And I have found life in serving. I have found growth in serving. I have found purpose in serving. We have to stop showing up to churches just looking to get. We have to stop showing up to churches just looking to receive. You've already received the blood of Jesus. You've already received the Holy Spirit. Now it's your turn to serve. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it should look like more than just coming and sitting every Sunday. Because there's more in store for you when you serve. It unlocks certain parts of your destiny when you decide that you're going to serve. I'll take it further. You'll never be all that you were created to be apart from serving. You know why? Because Jesus did it. He came to this earth and served it. He served it while he was living and he served it in his death. Servanthood is a part of your inheritance. I know you want an ordination. I know you want a microphone. I know you do. But you should want to be more like Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate blueprint of servanthood. He's God. And he came to this earth and served. You're not God. And you come and you sit. Where's the disconnect? Christian, Christ-like, imago Dei. Whatever you want to use, you are supposed to reflect him. And the last stage is that after they go through all that, now they become the person that's sharing. You see, the end game is the same for all of us, to tell somebody about Jesus. I, I read this amazing quote. It said that evangelism is not salesmanship. Relax. It's not urging people, pressing them, coercing them, overwhelming them, or subduing them. Relax. Evangelism is telling a message. 
Evangelism is reporting good news. Look at what Jesus did for me. Step two is commit to prayer. So step one was to become aware. Step two is to commit to prayer. Y'all like my rhyming skills? Get it? Aware of prayer? Ain't nobody get it. All right, fine. So commit to prayer. All next month, we're going to be talking about prayer. Why? Because it's important. We're not just an amazing church with an amazing prayer team. We're a praying church with an amazing prayer team. And we're going all in the entire month of August on prayer because you need it and we need it and our community needs it. And this world needs us to be praying and praying effectively. And so there are some prayers that you can, like you can, this can be simple. You can literally have a list of people in your mind that you commit these five prayers to on a regular basis. And that's a form of witnessing. You can first pray that the Father would draw them to Jesus. Pray that the Father draw them to Jesus. And you can pray John 6 and 44. So I'm going to give you the prayers and I'm going to give you the scriptures because God honors his word. And so you should pray his word over these people that you would love to have to come to him. Number two, you should pray against the spirit that blinds their minds because the enemy has them confused. But we can pray that the Holy Spirit intervenes and takes the blinders off. You can pray 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 for that prayer. And then the third prayer is you can pray that they come to know God relationally. In this verse, Romans 8 and 15, it talks about the spirit of adoption. Some translations call it the spirit of sonship. So the prayer is praying that they come to know Jesus as their father in relationship, adopted into his kingdom. And then you can pray that believers, good ones, not crazy ones, good representatives of the kingdom will cross their paths and they'll enter positive relationships with them. Maybe they just won't listen to you. But you can pray that somebody with the spirit of God that they will listen to comes into their life. And you can use Matthew 9 and 38 for that prayer. And the last one is you can pray for a revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And you can find that in Ephesians 1 and 17. These are five prayers you can just take into your prayer time and call that person by name and pray and fight for them in the spiritual realm. Some of these fights are going to take place in the natural, but there's also part of this journey that you need to handle in the spiritual realm. Pray these prayers over your loved ones, over your coworkers, over the people that are already in your life that God is counting on you to impact. So after you become aware and after you commit to prayer, then you need to show you care. Are you getting it now? Do you hear the rhyme? And I worked hard on this. Show you care. 
There's a story in, in the book of Luke, I, I won't read the whole thing, but the story of Zacchaeus. Again, Jesus is our blueprint and our model. Do you know how Jesus won Zacchaeus? Did he, do you think he like laid hands on him? And, and do, you, do you think that he, he prophesied to him? He went to lunch with him and had a conversation. It's okay to go to lunch with somebody that's far from Jesus. They sin is not going to get on your sandwich. Sometimes we just need to just be a human being so that people can know our Jesus. Jesus went and had lunch with Zacchaeus, and because of that conversation, Zacchaeus, he was, the Bible calls Zacchaeus not just a sinner, but a notorious sinner. <laughs> Jesus went to lunch with a notorious sinner. And you won't even go to lunch with people who go to a different church than you. Never mind. Show that you care. 1 Corinthians 9 and 22 says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Next verse says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Everything that I do has one purpose. Now this is Paul. Accomplished. has done a lot, planted churches, installed pastors, laid hands on the sick. And he says, everything that I do, I've gone here and I've done it this way. I've gone there and I've done it this way. And all of this I do for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in his blessings. It's not just enough for me to be blessed. It's not just enough for me to be free. I want to share in it with them. This is the dude that wrote half the New Testament. He's saying the only reason I'm doing all this is so they can experience Jesus too. I care about them. We have to start Caring for people who aren't like us. We have to start caring for people who don't know Jesus. We have to start caring for people that are hurt. We have to start caring for people that are discouraged and despondent. Because they have this totally tough exterior on the external part of them. But inside, they're hurting. You just don't see it because you're not taking the time to see it. Last week, I had an experience and I re-aggravated some, some old injuries in my legs. And I'm gonna have to call the doctor and I'm gonna have to go through some physical therapy. And my legs have been 
hurting really bad ever since. But if I never said anything to you, you'd have looked at my demeanor. You'd have looked at my face and you don't, you don't see any pain. You don't, you, don't, you don't see it because I've mastered being able to look as though I'm not hurting. And if you don't take the time to inquire, you'll never know. Those people that are in your life are faking. They have pain on the inside that they don't know how to deal with. But if you don't make yourself available, if you don't pray, because when you pray, the Holy Spirit gives you insight as well. And if you don't even act as though you care, you'll never know. And that person can possibly never heal. We have to stop being so selfish. Can I just say it like that? Can we stop being so solely concerned on our life and our circumstances and our problems and our obstacles and our goals and our ambitions that we have an opportunity to see somebody else's scars? That we have the opportunity to see somebody else's pain? You can play. The last thing that, that, that you should do after, after you become aware and after you commit them to prayer and after you show that you care you have to become ready to share to share we're prone to selfishness we were born selfish all of us as soon as we came out the womb we started screaming for attention and we've been screaming ever since 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You have to posture yourself as an opportunist, an opportunist to share the goodness of Jesus. See, uh, an opportunist in, in the regular sense is always looking for a chance, an opportunity to get something for themselves. We call those people opportunists. My wife and I experience that frequently. People want to use our platform for this, that, or the other because the opportunity that they're seeking for is for themselves. But I think that we should become opportunists for the kingdom. We should always be seeking opportunities to tell somebody about Jesus. There, that one little crack in the door, we could just bust in and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. I know things are tough right now. I know that I know that you've been hurt in church before. But can I tell you about my story? I, I can't really vouch for what, what they did. But can I tell you what God has done for me and how my life has been turned completely around as a result of me surrendering my life to Jesus? 
we have to be prepared for those opportunities. And the only way that we get there is that we have this, this internal desire in us, like Paul said, to share this blessing with others. The reason I'm an opportunity, a kingdom opportunist is because I think the kingdom is so amazing that I can't keep it to myself. I have to let somebody know how amazing God is. So any and every chance that I get, I'm going to be prepared. Now, what does preparation mean? It means that you have to know how to, how to flow in the environment that you're in. So in all circumstances, you don't walk up to somebody and be like, thus says the Lord. You start speaking King James English. Sometimes it's just got to be like, you know what? I just feel like, I just feel like God is saying, I just, I've just been, you know, you've been on my heart. And I prayed for you the other night, man. You got to know how to flow in the moment. That's what preparation is. And a big part of that preparation is asking the Holy Spirit to prepare you, to order your steps, to word your mouth, to help your thoughts, so that when the opportunity arises, you'll have an answer to give. Here's why. This is the last scripture. I know y'all tired of me. Here's the big why. It's in Acts 20 and 24. My life is worth nothing to me. No matter what I accomplish. No matter how much money I make. No matter how many degrees I get. No matter how many plaques are hanging on my wall, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What is that work? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He said, all that I've done and accomplished means nothing unless, unless I've spent it telling others the good news. Is that even on, is that even a goal of yours to tell others the good news? I know the new house is on your goals. I know the spouse is on your goals. I know the business is on your goals. Is there any room is there any place, is there any priority for telling others the good news? And all your ambition, and all your pursuits, do you even care if others know about Jesus? Or are you so busy trying to get more Jesus for yourself? You've already got all the Jesus that you're going to get, FYI. 
He's already completed the work for you. But do you care enough about people not named you to make space to prepare yourself to tell others about the goodness of Jesus Christ? One of the, the sessions that my wife and I went to uh, this past week, we were at a leadership conference and we got to sit in on a, on, a, on a session that was taught by John Maxwell. And he said every day, he was talking about himself. This is John Maxwell. Last week, and we had to pray for him, he was in a room talking to every superintendent of every state's Department of Education, all 50, in one room because he has a curriculum that is values-based and values its cold word for the gospel that he is presenting to them. That's the type of influence that John Maxwell has. Presidents know him, world leaders know him from around the country. CEOs, every CEO, they look to him. And he said, every day is a good day when I influence somebody to know Jesus. Out of all the accomplishments, 50 books, I don't know how many times he's a New York Times bestseller. Fortune 500 CEOs seeking him out. Government officials seeking him out. Royalty from other countries seeking out his advice. And his definition of a good day is when he can use all of that influence to tell somebody about Jesus. And he said that with tears in his eyes. How much more in our, in our circles and spheres of influence, how much room is in our heart to be willing and goal-oriented toward telling somebody about Jesus. I just, man, I really hope that God uses me to tell somebody about Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself for a minute and look at how much somebody else is hurting. I know your life is not perfect, but can you imagine living an imperfect life without God? At least we have somebody we can run to. Your neighbor is lost and alone. Something in you should have the capacity for compassion for other people who don't know Jesus. That that's the mission. I never gave you the title of this message on purpose. It's called an inside job. God is not going to use them. He's going to use you, the person close to that lost person, to get the job done. He's counting on you to get the job done. There may be some of you, 
who need to give your life to the Lord. And we'll never not give the opportunity to surrender your life to the Lord. Is this something that you shouldn't take lightly or you shouldn't have any doubts about it? We want to make sure that you're all in. And so I'm going to ask for everyone to close their eyes. Unless you're up here getting prayer, keep, keep doing your thing. And if you know you need to give your life to the Lord or that you need to give your life back to him, I'm not going to have you do anything crazy. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand to heaven. You're not raising it to me and nobody else is looking. On the count of three, just raise your hand in the air and tell heaven that you surrender. One, two, three. Raise those hands all over the building. I see you. 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 You can put your hands down. And because no one prays alone here at All Nations Aurora, we're all going to pray this prayer together. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So everybody that raised their hand and everybody else, repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived the perfect life, and that He died on the cross for me. And not only that, but He was resurrected on the third day for me. And because of this, I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart and be the Lord over my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's put our hands together for everybody who just made the most important decision of their life. Let's celebrate them. Let's celebrate them. Let's celebrate them. We honor your decision and we agree with heaven. We agree with heaven. The altar is still open. We're going to dismiss, but the altar is still open. And if you know the Holy Spirit, he's been poking, don't leave out of this auditorium without coming to get prayer. We want to agree with you and partner with you and what the Lord is speaking to your heart. Before we close, if the Lord has told you that this is your church, we would love to be your church. Ty and I would love to be your pastor. There's a bunch of ways that you can, you can do that. We love you all. Um, we want to see you again next week. Like I said, we're going to go into, into the topic of prayer. And you don't want to miss it. We have some special guests coming through um, that's going to leave a deposit that's going to affect your life in ways that you don't even understand. 
Next month is going to be big for All Nations Aurora. He already, he already told me. So if I were you, I wouldn't miss not one Sunday next month. So I'm going to bless you all, and I hope you all enjoy the, the rest of your day. Father, we honor you. We, we're grateful that you came and spoke to our hearts today. Help us to be like you. Help us to make an impact the way that you want us to. Help us to have capacity to love people the way that you do. Help us even as we leave this place to prepare ourselves for opportunities to tell people just how good you are. Thank you for being so good to us to the point that we have to tell people every chance that we get. Father, change our level of confidence, change our paradigms to know that you're with us, that you will order our thoughts, that you will order our words, that we don't have to be perfect, but that your perfect will will be made manifest in us. Father, we surrender to your will and the call on our lives. Father, bless each one of these in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.